Behind a Tour, the podcast from American Christian Tours that goes behind the scenes of the most iconic sites, historic characters, and true stories in American history to discover how God has been at work since the very beginning. Today, I'm your host, Krista Wenzel, and I'm joined today by Corey Hockaday. Hey, Corey. Hello. 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 How are you today? Oh, recovering from all the Christmas goodies I've been eating. (laughs) Aren't we all? Yeah. I know. Yeah. I've heard before that um, New Year's resolutions don't work so well and that a lot mm-hmm. of the people end up giving them up, but I don't know if I can actually continue on with the regular sugar consumption mm-hmm. that I've been having for the past couple of weeks. So yeah, definitely need a reset. Yes. We'll see. Absolutely. A reset and a little coffee. So uh, let's go into coffee corner and colonial colloquialisms. I would right. love to say that. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, C4. It's a mouthful. Yeah, C4. Yeah, there we go. It sounds cooler. Yeah, absolutely. C4. So it's pretty fun. All right. Well, what do we have on the docket today, Corey? Well, we're going to be talking, I don't know, about some very historic figures today. And much of what they began started with like the written, the printed word. So you probably heard of this dude named Gutenberg who invented a printing press. But um, eventually, you know, there were printers who would make newspapers and in their print shops they would keep all their tiny little prints which look like itty bitty tiny stamps like metal stamps usually and they would arrange them so they could easily find you know kind of like a keyboard but not so they could find the the little types that they needed so they could go real fast or their little 14 year old apprentices could find them real fast and um so to organize them, they'd put all the like small letters down below because they would use those the most frequently. Um, and then they would put the capital letters up above and kind of the upper case of like the wooden case. So that's where we get the phrase, like we call them uppercase and lowercase because that's how they were arranged in the printer's print box shop. That is amazing. I always love that when you go to the printer shop in Williamsburg when mm-hmm. we've been there. And I think they actually have them a variety of places. Like we were actually in Jamestown, North Dakota at this old right. recreated, <laughs> at this old recreated, uh, you know, Western frontier village and we went into the print shop there and they had the upper and lowercase and we're like here you go oh my it's gosh. still you know it was a real thing and so you can find the remnants of that kind of throughout all of you know any kind oh, of yeah. history before we get into our computer age where we have you know our very nice keyboards they did have to physically arrange the letters and then do the print of the paper backwards Mm -hmm. so that you would read it the right way. And so, I mean, it's so amazing how complicated so many of the, you know, things that we take for granted today truly were in the beginning. And also partly why it was so expensive too. Like we take for granted that, you know, on our phone, we can have, you know, thousands and thousands of books and access to anything. But really in those days, it came down to these apprentice and these men who would put together each page individualized. It's just, it, it really does uh, make me appreciate kind of the, the struggle that they probably didn't see it as a struggle, but I would for sure being first century American right here, I'd be like, Oh, the struggle. It'd be very, very, yeah. And I've seen you text a mile a minute, but <laughs> next time you type, try, try typing everything backwards. Oh, exactly. Back. Oh my goodness. Yes. That's pretty amazing. So, and we are going to talk a 
yeah, we are going to talk a little bit more about the Gutenberg Bible press and, you know, the written, what the written words of our past have really how they've impacted our lives today. All right. So now we're going to talk a little bit behind the Constitution. Last episode, we asked the question, what document almost 170 years older than the Constitution laid the foundation for our unique form of self-governance? Well, if you're any good at math, which I'm not, so I had to write this out, you would have to you would come up with the date uh, around 1620, the year the pilgrims sailed to the new world. And we're going to like talk a lot about the pilgrims today. So um, I know we've spent the last couple of episodes really dabbling in the colonial period, but we're going behind behind the Constitution. Ooh, I like that. Behind Ooh, all the layers here. So it's like, a, it's like history is like an onion. Again, like all these threads just inter interwoven and, yeah, oh, they're all connected. It's super fascinating. Well, absolutely. Well, and it's neat too because you know, really, when we put ourselves where we are in history right now, you kind of look and go, "It's hard to see what the future is." But when you go to the past, you can see it just opens up everything of going of understanding. I think for where we are, where we are today, and you know, we go, we talk a lot about the founding fathers. I think even, you know, in everyday life, people say, well, the founding fathers meant this, or they meant this. But if you don't understand what their frame of history was, where they were coming from, it is actually very hard to understand what they were talking about. So it's like you said, like that onion, you have to go deeper and deeper to understand that. So yeah, so I mean, I think this is really going to be a fun document to unpack a little bit here with the Mayflower Mm -hmm. Compact. Corey, why don't you tell us a little bit what led us into the Mayflower Compact? What is a Mayflower? Oh, man. All right. Well, we're going (laughs) to unpack this compact for the rest of the episode. But these dudes and ladies had gotten aboard their ship, the Mayflower, to cross the Atlantic and start a new colony, a new world, a new uh, experiment, if you will. And they had made a contract, right, with the Virginian. I think it was the Charter of Virginia Company. Yes. So like the same company that helped found Jamestown 13 years previous. If you're tracking a little bit with history, Jamestown was the first permanent English speaking colony in America. That was 1607. That was the year the pilgrims went to live in Holland. So then 13 years later, they crossed the ocean blue and wound up not in Virginia, but way up in Massachusetts. And there were many people aboard who weren't separatists, who weren't quote unquote, you know, we know them as pilgrims. They weren't part of this religious group. They were just average Joe Schmoes looking to start a new future, make some money, start a business. And they said, oh, well, we're not in Virginia. So now we can do whatever we want. And everyone aboard the ship said, um, let's maybe like make an agreement so we can all get along and make, make our own rules. We're like, we're all equally represented and, you know, wow, what an idea. So they formed what has famously been called, they didn't call it this, we call it this, the Mayflower Compact, where they all agreed that they would go along to get along and they would work together to form a community and they would work together to make their own laws that would benefit everyone um, and that they would be able to you know, elect people that would govern well. So that was the beginning. That's the That's start. Amazing. And that just trickled down. I know. It's well, and it's fun. Yeah. And it's fun to even hear you explain it. That's such a, it, 
it's a very straightforward, concise way to explain what happened on that day. You know, it's November 11th, which I think is fun because for a lot yeah. of people, we think November 11th, you know, you have Veterans Day, Veterans but it's day. also another day that we can honor the fact that our first mm-hmm. form of independent government was put together. And I think too, looking at going, what was behind the men who wrote it, um, two men that were most instrumental would have been Brewster and Bradford. And so these two men, they had basically separated out of, you know, that word that used the separatists, um, separated Mm -hmm. from the Church of England, which was illegal. What they did during those years, I mean, books have been written. It's amazing what they did when they Mm -hmm. separated out of the Church of England, illegal activity, imprisonment. Um, Women were, you know, basically told that they could never see their husbands again. And, you know, it was all chaos. They end up in Leiden Holland, which, Corey, you and I had the opportunity to visit there together. We we do a lot of traveling. When you're tour guides, you find (laughs) that you like to travel outside of your your like to be a tourist. Yes, exactly. And so we went to Leiden and it was so impactful because there is the University of Leiden, one of the oldest universities continuously running in the world. And it's this small university in this little idyllic Holland, you know, the Netherlands now, as we call it, um, town and on these little canals. And I happened to be going through there one time and this man started talking to me, who was the head of security for the entire university. And as we were going, he was showing me different things. And I was just eating it up as a tourist and history nut. I just loved every moment of it. And he offhandedly said, well, you're from America, so you might like to see this. He brings me outside of the university gates and points across the canal to this little like step down, like the street level and then you had to step down to this little platform about four steps. And he goes, that platform right there, that's where the pilgrims took off on the Mayflower. And it's not like marked out. Like in America, we would have like plaques and like oh. there'd be like pull off signs, like here it is, like let's pull in. And be a little street was- vendor selling t shirts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it wasn't, it was this very serene location. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it just Never was know. so impactful that, you know, in America today, we look so far back on history and, um, you know, we go to Washington DC and we see these iconic things and we're getting our phones out and taking pictures and really the sereneness and the quietness of what took place that day Mm -hmm. for these people. It was a sad day. I mean, they said even young men, the history books say even the young men were weeping openly because it wasn't all the, these separatists going over to form this new colony. It was, a very separated group. And Corey, didn't you say that even Bradford, didn't he leave his son? Yeah. He left his three-year-old son. So heartbreak. I mean, yeah. And it's like, so we, we all know about the Mayflower, but there was another ship called the Speedwell, which was neither speeding, speeding. Oh, well, (laughs) and they didn't make it out across the ocean. So they had to turn back and downsize and leave people behind because they couldn't fit all their passengers onto one ship. So they had to leave some behind, including their pastor, you know, the man whose vision it was to start this, this new land, this new, this new world, this new opportunity. And he had to stay behind with the original congregation. And yeah, it's not, it's not really hard to imagine. I mean, it is yeah. and it isn't because they knew this, the likelihood of ever seeing these people again was, was really, I mean, it was very slim. And I like that Brad yeah. did put at that point, he said, when they had to have a smaller amount, even than what they originally thought, because they had to go from, like you said, 
the mayor and the speedwell, just down to the Mayflower. He said, it's like Gideon's army. And I love that because so often we talk about Gideon from the book of Judges in the Bible, that he had this great army of 32,000 men who were going to go out and fight on behalf of the Israelites. And God whittled that number down through different tests, bring them from 32,000 to 300. And so this small amount of people, God said that he didn't need a big number. He needed a faithful number at that point. And looking, going, those people who went over, they were faithful um, because there were many, many hardships ahead that we will talk about. And they had that seven week journey that was not pleasant by any means. It was, they'd left a lot later than they'd hoped to. So they had all the different storms in the North Atlantic and it was freezing. Corey, what did you say you found out how big the actual Mayflower was in terms of size? I looked this up. I'm not, so it's like 1500 square feet. So for you people like myself who have no idea what that means, it's like the size of a two-bed apart- apartment, two-bedroom apartment. So imagine how many... Like 102. Yep, 102, 102 people. Yeah, pilgrims aboard the ship. Excluding... Was that excluding the crew? Was excluding the crew. I think that was including everyone. Still, yeah. I, I go crazy with like two people and that. <laughs> <laughs> We're very blessed with a lot of a lot of elbow room in America today. Like, <laughs> Goodness sakes, but then for seven weeks and a baby was born on board. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was yeah. it was crazy. So they went through all these hardships and then they get to America, north of where they wanted to be, and they weren't excited because they were without outside of the king's jurisdiction. They were outside of the land of law. And so they had had heard all these horror stories of, you know, like the lost colony of Roanoke and you know, all these things that would go on that they didn't know would happen. And so when those two men, Brewster, which again, you and I stood at his, like they have a marker there where Brewster's home Uh actually was in Leiden. So we got to stand there and imagine that he left this comfortable life in the Netherlands, went over and Brewster and Bradford came together and wrote the compact, which is just amazing. It takes less than a minute Mm -hmm. to read the whole thing. And we're not going to read the whole thing for you today, but I do want to focus on one line. In the middle of the uh, Mayflower Compact, when they're saying, you know, we're going to form together this covenant, the reason why is for the following, to enact and constitute and frame such a just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, Mm -hmm. constitutions, and offices dot, 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 for the general good of the colony. So they're putting together that if you have equal laws, which we can, you know, we're very familiar with that today, equal laws, the general good of the whole colony, if we have equal laws, you know, putting that together that for the first time in world history, you have a document that isn't just bred from one man who took over an entire nation and everyone's rallying behind this one leader. Everyone is equal. No one is better than the other at this point in history to look and go, we have for the general good of the colony is pretty amazing. They ended that time after they wrote this constitution, this Mayflower Compact, they ended it together going onto the shores of Cape Cod in Massachusetts and thanking God for his blessings. And John Quincy Adams in 1802 from Mm -hmm. Plymouth actually has just such a really, really cool phrase that he said, In 1802, John Quincy Adams said, perhaps the only instance in human history of that positive original social compact, which speculative philosophers have imagined as the 
only legitimate source of government. Wow. That was a lot behind behind the Constitution. (laughs) And there's more. So hopefully that just whetted your appetite. Um, But we're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk some more about our better heritage, the pilgrims. All right. We'll be right back. All right. We're going to dip into our mailbag here today and get a review from a man named John who says the education program leaders do a superb job of adjusting schedules as weather, traffic, and other factors affect itinerary. In a year of the unexpected, we thought more would have changed. Thanks for an amazing time. Well, thanks, John, for giving us such positive feedback. We love hearing from people like you who've been out on tour with us, American Christian Tours. So thanks for your input, and thanks, American Christian Tours, for sponsoring this podcast. Welcome back to Behind the Tour. Uh, We're going to segue into our next part of the show called um, Behind the Quote, this little series that we've been on. I'm going to start by reading you guys a verse, Matthew 5.14. It says, in the King James Bible, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. I'm sure many of us have read this verse, but um, what in the world, Krista, does this verse have to do with our topic today of pilgrims? Tell us more. Well, 10 years after the pilgrims had landed, and we'll go back to 1620, but we're going to focus just a little bit here on 1630. Um, There was a man named John Winthrop who was a pastor over in England. And he was, man, he was just zealous for the Lord. And he was one of those people, like a lot of us that maybe were raised in the church, but then we really owned, he owned, and, you know, hopefully all of us will own our own faith. And because he got so zealous, he eventually got married, had children and decided that he would be going over to the Massachusetts colony. When he came over here in 1630, he was expecting a thriving colony, you know, all these rumors and like good tales that come back that things are going great. Well, he got over and realized that in Salem, Massachusetts, which Salem means peace, it was not so good. Between 1628 and 1629, things had gone really bad. And he said it was like watching skeletons walk towards him. And so he, at that point, was on one of these ships called the Arabella. And he was on the Arabella that night after landing. He stayed on the ship and he recalled this sermon that he had spoken to right before he set off to come over to the new colonies. And in that, he really talked about something that it was almost prophetic in a way for him because he was talking about the city on a hill, that we would be a city on a hill in the sense that if we followed God's law, if we followed this spirit of unity, if we kept the love among Christians, thinking it is a real thing, it's not imaginary, if we continue to profess ourselves as member of Christ, that we would be a shining city on a hill for the whole world to see, that we would have a new form of government that would just really change the world. And it's amazing to look and go, he he was not wrong. And I do like too, that he put in there, like a lot of scriptures, if you guys are going through the Bible, like me, I was like it when, you know, if you do these things, it's going to be great. And, you know, we're going to continue to walk with the Lord, all these positives. But if you actually are reading the full text, a lot of times there's, if you neglect the Lord, these are the consequences. And so often we like to ignore those consequences. I do. I like, to just live, you know, as free as I want. But the consequences of if you do not follow the Lord, he said, if we neglect the Lord, he will surely break out his wrath 
against us. And that makes me want to make sure that I'm, I'm personally and as a nation that we continue to follow the Lord. And so that's when he said, we need to, you know, invoke Micah 6.8, you know, with that act justly, you know, walk, walk with mercy. Yeah. Walk humbly before your God. He said that we needed to continue to do these things. And so him coming over, John Winthrop actually was the man who founded Boston. He was ended up being governor of Massachusetts. Um, on and off, he would be elected. Sometimes he wouldn't be elected uh, for several years. And he was a huge, huge part of why America's government is so strong today. But he was looking at the Pilgrims as the inspiration in the Mayflower Compact. And so talking about the Pilgrims today, they laid the foundation for the rest of America, particularly for John Winthrop, you know, it's, it's just like you said, it's an, mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this before. History is such an onion that you break back those layers of going, you know, it's not just us today. It's the people who have impacted us and how we're going to continue to walk. And very often John Winthrop and the pilgrims particularly talked about the idea of posterity. Corey, what, what have we found about the posterity kind of in, in some of your studies of the pilgrims? I know you love the pilgrims. Well, doesn't everybody? Well, yeah. <laughs> maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> I don't well, know. that's because they maybe uh, don't know well, the whole truth of them. They don't. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing. You know, sometimes we think of them in their quirky hats and their buckly shoes. These were real people with a real passion and a real vision for a better life for their children. That was a big motivator for them leaving Holland was that their children's lives were pretty bleak. Like their backs were, you know, bent under the weight of the work that they had to do to survive in Holland. They were adapting to the culture and the kind of the non, you know, non-Christian ways that, you know. So anyways, that a big reason for them leaving Holland altogether was for the sake of their children. Um and so so, and so when they landed here, you know, in 1620, it was November. I don't know if you know anything about New England, but it's real cold in the winter. Mm-hmm. So by the spring, so 102 got off the boat and started to try to make a life. But by spring, literally half of them had died. 51 were dead out of 102. Oh my gosh. I can't, I can't Can even imagine? imagine. No. I mean, picture the contrast of like who was there in the fall and then who was in there in the spring. And it's just, it's it's devastating. And yet they persevered, they continued. And then God provided in the form of Native Americans who came and helped them learn the ways of New England and planting and corn and whatnot. And that's what led to our first Thanksgiving in 1621. Um, And they said, I mean, you think, wow, what a year. You know, we complain about 2020, which has been, been a year. But we haven't lost half of our families, most of us. We haven't lost half of our whole colonies and communities. Um, and yet God has, was always faithful and they continued. Um, and even the name Pilgrim, we think, you know, we always associate these people with this title, this name. But they're the ones that called it. They, they had this vision and it comes out of Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Faith. And it says these all died. So it's kind of wrapping up. You're just kind of introducing this hall of fame, this hall of faith in Hebrews. But these these pilgrims of America adopted this idea as well. And they said, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off. And they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And now they desire a better country that is a heavenly. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. 
for he hath prepared, prepared for them a city. Like mm-hmm. that was what stirred them and motivated them. And so many of them, 51 to be exact, died not having received the promise. They never, never got to mm-hmm. experience the new promised land. And yet they died in faith for the sake of their posterity, their descendants, their children, that they could live in a new country where they could worship freely and of equal representation. And that's, that's our legacy. I mean, yeah, we talked about the Mayflower compact and our equal representation, but it's the legacy of faith. Um, I think that is the most profound in the pilgrims. Um, and I was listening to a sermon the other day and he was contrasting like what the opposite of faith is fear. Um, so rather than let fear discourage them from abandoning all they'd ever known and their families and crossing the ocean and boarding a ship and a land that was un unestablished and there were no Walmarts here. Um <laughs> they they decided that faith was the greater thing to guide their steps than fear was. And so I think we can learn a lot from these. Well absolutely. These well and you look and go, okay, so think of it. They go over to establish a new colony. Half of them had died in the first six months failure failure like you would go oh my gosh like did not do it however when you look at god sees the full picture we Mm -hmm. we only see our little picture he sees the full picture from those 51 survivors we have over 35 million people who have descended from the mayflower including people (laughs) like clint eastwood you know bing crosby without the mayflower we would not have a white christmas i mean think of it like the true reality of what these people did seemed like a failure at that point they didn't make it first of all they didn't make it to where they were supposed to go they're supposed to go to virginia after a fail they were supposed to go over and establish this great new land and have all these new opportunities fail. They came to a land. They had no idea who the native people were. And that whole story is absolutely an astonishment just in general too. So it's just amazing. And Corey, you and I have been there at Plymouth plantation when it was blizzarding. Do you remember oh that? My gosh, it was that's right. And, <laughs> and we were freezing and we had like yep. I had winter I'm from yeah. Minnesota we're from, You're from Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> we know how to do winter that winter was like nothing else because it's so wet and it's so cold oh. and that ocean air coming out and you know you're freezing and mascara is running everywhere <laughs> because you're getting wet. the hat did nothing and all of a sudden you realize these mm-hmm. people were coming over not fully understanding what they were being asked to do yeah. and were failures in yeah. a lot of ways, but God saw the full picture, like the hall of faith. I mean, John Adams was a descendant. You know, you look through and go, this is, this is an amazing, amazing um, legacy that they had. So um, it's just, it really is. It's an encouragement to look back on these people of faith. It's an encouragement to look and go, this is, this is, we get to benefit. I'm, I don't think I'm a descendant. Um, I, I didn't, I descend or my ancestors didn't come over here until about the 20th century. But, you know, when you look and go, I am benefiting from, from their work. All of us are, it's pretty, it's pretty great. And I think in future weeks, we're really going to start uncovering a lot of the history of, you know, even the revolutionary war, we're going to be going into in depth and, really they wouldn't have had their founding without what the pilgrims truly did. And so it's fun to take this time to be able to look at their lives and to look at their sacrifice and realize what, um, you know, really that there were failures in that, but 
they ended up being in the long run, a huge success story. Wow. All right. That's crazy. So as if that wasn't enough, we want to continue <laughs> the idea of sending you off with our, our call to action. I mean, as if this call of faith wasn't a call enough, but um, you know, we've talked about some pretty important people and men that have left a legacy for future generations. Um, but sometimes we forget that they all started as children at one time. So, you know, there was a kid who was orphaned as a young, as a young child and grew up with a couple uncles for a period of time. And then was just a very curious child and wound up at a Puritan church where he met some people um, who took him under their wing and just kind of poured into him. And, and this kid really latched on to this, these Puritan ideals. He wasn't welcomed by his, his family. They thought it was kind of crazy, but he continued uh, and he found this new community and a new family in this Puritan church. And, you know, they lent, lent him books and which was a big deal and kind of just poured, poured into him. And slowly but surely, he just grew in prominence and um, in his relationship with the Lord and his faith and his passion for for what the Lord would have him to do. And when the Puritans left England and went to Holland for 13 years, he went with them and again, just continued to grow in his faith and crossed the ocean, was part of the Mayflower um, group. And they got to the New World and he was part of the group that did some exploring and some scouting and to establish where the colony would be. His wife, um, he was married at the time, but sadly his wife fell overboard while the boat was docked and she died tragically. Um, But it didn't deter him. He did survive that first winter and remarried and had, I think, three children. And um, when their original governor Carver died that, that first year, this man, this very young man, became this the new governor of of the Plymouth colony and eventually wrote down all of the things that we know about the pilgrims in the famous of Plymouth plantation so my literary students who've been reading this lately um, but that man was none other than William Bradford wow so I mean never underestimate the power of of influencing a child with with the gospel and the word of God and parents if I have one thing to say to you it would be to, to train up your child. Again, that idea of pros, of posterity, you cannot do wrong by giving your, your children the Bible and nothing else. Um, you just never know where that's going to lead and how God can use a young person for future generations. And kids, get in the word. Let it Amen. do work in your mind and your heart, and you just never know how God can use you. Amen. Well, and I always think of too in Hebrews 4.12, where it says the word of God, it is alive and it is active, Mm. that it penetrates your mind and your spirit and your bone and your marrow. And, you know, looking, going, that's mind, body and spirit. And it is alive and active. And, you know, even this is just a call for me and a call for all of us to realize if we are active in our faith, if we are faithful to just read our Bible, the Lord is going to inspire us. And that's really what happened with these men. And we touched briefly and we'll talk in future episodes a lot more about the Geneva Bible, but the Geneva Bible was the first time a book of the Bible could be given to an individual to read up until the point, you know, we talked about Gutenberg Bible at the top of the top of the episode where the Gutenberg press was invented. And for the first time in 1450, people had access to the word of God instead of having it written out and only pastors and priests and uh, clergymen having access to it. 
individuals had access to the word of God. And as a result, they started reading it and they saw in the word, it said to train up your child in the way that he should go so that when he is old, he will not depart from it. When they realized that the church of England was not allowing them to read the word and to implement what they thought God was calling them to do, these separatists and Puritans went to Holland. And when they went to Holland, they couldn't raise their children the way that they wanted to there. So that's when they took off and came to America. And America's story is really the story of the word of God and that call to action, that call to faith that we are put here for such a time as this. Mm. So going into next week, we have one of, I mean, we kind of switch gears a little bit, but we're going into one of my favorite eras in history for sure, but also talking about one of my favorite calls to action. And Corey, what is that call to action for next week? Well, let's leave them with a question. Yes. Okay. So what fiery phrase given in a church in Virginia inspired a nation to fight for independence? Well, next time for the answer to that question and more fun facts and tour stories with Behind the Tour. And uh, I don't know, get out there and read your Bible, folks. Amen. All right. Signing off, Krista Wenzel and Corey Hockaday. Talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.